Welcome to Say That. It's podcast where you give me questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Join me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. I got to adjust my I.O. Well, don't pull anything. That's it. Lee, Lee said that just before we hit record. Jed knows what it means. It sounds cool, so I just said it. People tune in for the tech talk. Also right. joining us, the director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. I do know what it means. Hello! <laughs> Jody has all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors at Christ Community Church, and a man whose I.O. is in the proper balance now, Lee Younger. Who's to say? I don't really know what these things mean. Jed tells me what they mean. Occasionally, I get them right. Speaking of things that I don't know what they mean, <laughs> I'm forced to declare an emergency. What? What? And this is an emergency of one of the direst kinds. This is a Facebook emergency. Uh-oh. This is a middle-aged, and I don't cast any shade there, it's a group I'm a part of, a middle-aged people using Facebook emergency. Uh Uh-oh. A Christian middle-aged people using Facebook emergency. Double Uh O-ish. We're going to go DEFCON 1 here. It's a pastor's using Facebook emergency. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Now, as as those of you who uh, know about a a little bit about our day job here in Chicago, we work with The Bridge. So it's it's Mm. our uh, weekly worship service for folks coming out of jail, coming out of drug addiction, coming out of a hard time. And the setup of that is each week there's four 10-minute preaching slots. One of them is filled by one of our staff people. You can hear that on The Bridge podcast. comes out every Monday. You can scroll down into this description and probably find a link to The Bridge podcast. And the other three slots, though, are filled by local pastors. The idea being uh, you people who come to the service submit the questions and the topics that we preach on. So the idea is you would hear a number of pastors from all around the city and the suburbs preach around topics that apply to your life. And eventually you come to the bridge for a month or two. You will, if you're from Inglewood, you will be there on the week that Pastor Edwards is there and you will like his sermon and we can say, all right, here's where it is. And he's going to send someone to church, pick you up and bada bing. They start going to that church. We go down to the jailhouse to get a new one, and the whole cycle replenishes itself. Yeah. So, as you might imagine, we have a, 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 a roster of probably all told a couple dozen pastors, and always, yeah. you know, some people are, you know, retiring or moving or taking a different job and always looking for new people. So we, we, we are connected with a lot of pastors. That includes being connected with a lot of pastors on Facebook. Yeah, and some of us are connected to pastors through those denominations we work with. Yeah, in other parts of the country, and and then this, their friends, and yes, and yeah. the the social network such as it is. Yeah. What this has led to, for some reason, in the past couple months, we have become aware of pastor memes. Yeah, and it's I don't even know what to do with this one. <laughs> well, here's here's what it is, because uh, this is a scary thought, but probably the majority of my Facebook feed is uh, clergy persons, and um, or at least the majority of the posts is put sure. that way on there are clergy persons, uh, and uh, about eighty percent of what I read from them is a terrible idea. Okay. <laughs> you need to not do this. Now, understand, I'm not talking about inappropriate uh, whatevers. You know I'm what saying, I mean? Hey, maybe Baal worship. What if right, we give it a yeah. shot? I'm not talking about that. And I'm, al- I'm also not talking about inappropriate in the sense of like, hey, look, uh, I'm, I'm clipping my toenails. You know, that would be inappropriate. Right. But maybe funny. Sure, absolutely. You know? <laughs> like, 
you know, uh, like a caption naming contest. Here's a toenail clipping. What would sure. you, you know, something. You're spreading awareness on foot hygiene. Yeah, does, exactly. You know, does it, is it like a cloud? Do you see what, the Virgin Mary's face in this toenail clipping? Right, that kind of thing. You know, that that could be adorable, even though definitely inappropriate. Okay? Right. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about I have a deep thought I want to share with you, and here's what it is. It, uh, uh, the 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 ones that really drive me up a tree is let me tell you what it's like to be me and all the struggles that pastors go through mm. uh because uh, it, it that's a thinly veiled way of saying you people suck and it makes my life bad it's right. it's not <laughs> what i go through it's what you people are really like if that's what you're thinking just go ahead and uh, fire that up on the feed. Hey, people who suck on the internet, I'd right. like to tell you what, you know. So there's that. Yes, and that is, is by way of an example. One of our recent ones that crossed our face was, uh, it was a meme, again, this is for some group of pastors, this is for pastors, maybe even seminary or something. And it was, you know, there's a, it's a drawing, there's two windows, like where you would place a bet or say something, and there's one of them has a big long line in front of it. And it says, complaint department. Right. And one of them, there's no one in that line. And it says, gratitude department. Wow. Well, well, you see, I'm not grateful, so I, I would not be in that line. <laughs> well, think about that, huh? I, I, I am right now. I'll also... Well, think about it harder <laughs> and worse. Also, you know that retail businesses don't have a gratitude department. It, the gratitude is just in people continuing to go there and... Buy things. And buy things. Well, but uh, I would like it if people showed uh, if gratitude. Right. No, it, yeah, I, I, I'm, a pa- I'm a pastor. It's just lots of complaints. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, let, let's do the math right now and why that might be. <laughs> the lack of self-awareness was what got us about that one. No one ever says thank you for any of my sermons. Right. Yeah. Are you 100% sure that the problem is the people? <laughs> <laughs> well, we were just we were just talking uh, before we hit record on uh one that showed up on my feed this past week. Uh and this again, this not just this not the originator of this that that I saw. They're from. just passing it They're along. They're passing along of um stop blaming church people for why you don't go to church. The club is full of messed up people, but you go anyway. Something to that right. effect. Uh, which has baffled me on several different levels. I love the attitude of don't. Yeah. There's a Stop thing. You, you, you're, you, you are, you, you're displeased with something. You know what? Don't. <laughs> I, don't I don't even get Shove that. Shove it in a sack, mister. That's, that's not even a... You, you can't just say that to... You know sure. what I mean? You, you, yeah. The the point of putting something clever on the internet is you got an angle on it. Right. Well, the the only angle here appears to be people at the club aren't any good. So if people at the church aren't any good, you should put up with all of it. Yeah. Which is a, that's a terrible thing to say to people. More unpleasantness. <laughs> you you if you want people to come and participate in your thing, you don't say, Ah, you'll be miserable anyway. Why don't you come to our thing? <laughs> that's not that's not a Come to Wendy's. McDonald's sucks too. Right, exactly. (laughs) First congregational church. Be miserable here. Yeah, I mean, uh, but the the ideal, the thing that drove me up a tree is not that somebody constructed this, which is just insane to me. What really just boils my noodle is that someone 
actually read it and said, "Yeah, that's the thing." This Zinger it. <laughs> and re- reposted that. I mean, uh, you know, uh, uh, don't do it. Don't don't. The, with this is the thing, and we've threatened, and I've made this threat many times to take all the pastors that I know and make them take a class on Facebook and what to put on there and what not to put sure. on there. <laughs> It's Please like, do that class, right? It's it's not like a it's not meant to be a stream of consciousness. It's you you actually want to have something. It's not where to you say. keep a list of everything you've ever read, yeah, dude. Right. Are you are you? I'm about to tell a story, and I'm actually curious if you know this or not. So one of our bridge pastors, he's one of our favorites. He's one of our longest term. He's a great dude and a really gifted preacher, um, and he helps to kind of oversee a number of churches in his denomination. One of the last times he was at the bridge, he grabbed me and said, I got a bunch of pastors I'm working with, and they all struggle with the online stuff and the Facebook and whatnot. Would you ever be willing to kind of, like, I can bring you in and you can tell them how to really? do some of that? Yeah. That's awesome. So it's one of these where, like, part of me, hey, this is someone I love dearly, so if he actually asks, the answer will be yes. And, right. you know, hopefully it would help. But there's another part of me that's so terrified by that concept, <laughs> I'm kind of desperately hoping he does not actually ask me to well, do that. You'd have to start with, okay, first forget everything you've ever thought or felt or had an instinct on. All yeah. of your instincts are wrong. Yes. Don't do any of that. Yes. Can't cancel this account and then send out a disclaimer to all your friends claiming some strange imposter <laughs> have been posting really, really inappropriate stuff about, hey, uh, stop being so jacked up. It can bums you, me out. Can you claim you were hacked by the Russian Orthodox Church? Well, that yeah, there you go. That, now that, there's an angle. I mean, it's, it's a narrative. Is what yeah, it's a, it's a, you, you got to yeah, got to construct some sort of something to get yourself out of that. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think the class the class would start off with just Jed with one of those spray bottles, like when right. your cat <laughs> right insists on trying to pee on the carpet. Yeah. Well, now we've we've mentioned the use uh, and advocated for the use of uh, some form of electro punishment in mm-hmm. church. Sure. Could we right. just wire up the old mouse clicker? Yep. And if you hit uh, resend, like we'll send them a series of in- just stuff that's just wrong. Sure. And then if they click to repost <laughs> it, it gives them a little zap. Yeah, yeah. And then you learn, like, okay, that's condition them. Yeah, that. Oh, I see. That was the wrong thing. I think it's perfect. I, I, I see no problem with this plan at all. Yeah. Well, I, I, in the latest version of the Apple iOS, they have the screen time thing. Yeah. Like you can set and you can set, but for both for screen and just like if you spend X amount of time in certain apps, you can say, oh, you set it for 30 minutes of Instagram a day or whatever, and it tells you when you think. I do that to the keyboard, but with an electric shock element. Yes. Right. Wow. Kind of you get two posts a day. Right. And if you try to go for that third and you're like, yeah, but I really like this article and I'll just share it. Did you 20,000 volts like it? Because that's what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, Don't call you, me on the math. Have... I don't know if that kills them or not. Yeah. Could you have Glenn's face just come up like a prompt on their yeah. screen? Just oh, like, like angry, really, clippy. pastor? Right. And then when he tries to hit share, it's Glenn's face again going, really? Really? Like a Chrome extension where Glenn just keeps popping up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that would that would be a hit right there. Yeah. Yeah. That would help the people. Yeah. Because I they, they, here's the other thing that that kills me is they'll 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 put on there, uh, 
a, a link to an article. And because I'm a psychopath, I'll follow these links, you know, not not everyone. <laughs> That's you hate joy. That's not the path to happiness, Glenn. No, it's not. But it's the kind of thing of like, okay, you know, these are, in some cases, they're people I'm working with and trying to help. In some cases, it's a guy that I know, and I just want to know what he's thinking and how he's feeling, what's what's helping him. If there's something helpful, let's check out what this is. So, you know, and you, what's what's also true is pastors really share a lot of the same thoughts with each other. They, you know, they get these sort of running themes they pass back and forth to each other. I can say it has to be above 80% of these links that I've followed have been awful. I mean, just at best, it's just inane to the point of just total blandness and just not saying anything really. Yeah. But often it's just like really wrong headed and like that dude, that's, that is not it, man. <laughs> well, my my favorite version of that, because um, I know I haven't read as many of them as, as you have, but you know, unfortunately, we get subjected to, to some of these. It was there was a trend about six months to a year ago where it was all this person's job is not to do such and such. Yes. So it's you know, it's, oh. it's not the worship leader's job to get you to worship. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, it's not the pastor's job to teach you or lead you. And I keep waiting, and like these are literal things that are right. being like those are not exaggerations. Right. That's, yeah. The, yeah. That's stuff they're passing and, around each other. And also, they're not incomplete in the sense that there was no back half of them. Yeah. It wasn't like, it's not the worship pastor's job leading worship, and then some other description of like, it's yeah. the worship job to create an environment, whatever, just, it's not the worship job pastor's job to do worship. Yeah. The, right. The thing I want to do as a really a social experiment is to write a, a Christian think piece. It's not the church janitor's job to clean up after you. And just see, right. yeah. can I get by in on that? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Can I write a thing that is literally that person's job, the yeah, sole right. function that they have? It's not the job of the third grade Sunday school teacher to teach your third grade son the Bible. And just see, will anyone, will they share it? Right. Will it that's go forth right. into the world? Right. <laughs> I, I, I like this thread. I like the idea of creating a meme just almost as bait. Right. How ridiculous of a church pastor meme could you create and see like the most guiltifying ridiculous insane thing you could possibly think of and how many pastors would you play ooh 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 share <laughs> well it, th- this is a real thing if you took the words of jesus feed my sheep and you adjusted that about 3 degrees the language of that about 3 degrees it said it's not my job to feed these sheep you would get it, almost all these pastors reblogging yeah, that. Amen, yeah, brother. Dude, that's exactly your job. Yeah, that's, that's your, your one job. job. Yeah. They, also, they come screwed up. I say this to pastors every single round. I talk with them. They come screwed up. That's yeah. your. That's how you have a job. Yeah. Say we're lined out. It's like if you're a doctor. You know, there's nothing but sick people coming in here all the time. Yeah, dude. That's. Didn't That's you picture the thing? Yeah, did you picture that's what this job was? You know, it's not the doctor's job to treat your medical conditions, Glenn. <laughs> right. well, I mean, not in this country. <laughs> and on that note, wow, peak wow. sadness. Joe Glans, I declare emergency off. Yes, and what we what currently and because we're old in the future will contain no memes is Bridgebox. Yeah, we, we don't know how to do that. We don't know how to make them. I don't know what SpongeBob is, so we can't make memes for Bridgebox. We do the sermons and the songs <laughs> and the Bible studies, all sorts of good stuff. 
on that for only $8 a month, which goes directly to support the work we do up here in Chicago, missionusa.com slash bridgebox. You want to check that out. We're in the month of May. We're looking at the topic of how do I build better relationships? A lot of excellent stuff on that missionusa.com slash bridgebox. All right. You can jump to our first question here. If it has all the way to the end, I use some ways to get in touch with this. You can also scroll down into the episode description and find those links. First question comes in anonymously and it says, Hey guys, how would you deal with going to church being painful? I've been very isolated since I can remember no dating life and no family members or friends I'd consider close. So relationships. So going to church and seeing other people happy, thinner than me in relationships with their church families and their own families really just brings a wave of pain on me. I can't concentrate on worship. Once those thoughts come in, should I stop trying to go to church and should I focus on worshiping God at home alone? And, uh, an honest question, one we're glad we got yeah. in, and we're sorry for, for the hurt this caused you, but Glenn, where would we start with this? Well, and it, there's obviously a lot of pain being expressed here, and we want to respect that, and we care about it, we care about you, uh, and let's be honest, we've all felt a version of this, you know, we've sure. we've all uh, been the one that was single, and, you know, this really cute person that we maybe had a crush on a couple of years ago shows up with their new fiance and you just, you know, it just crushes you and stuff. We've, we've all experienced those kind of things. Uh, certainly on this podcast and most of the people listening to this can relate to that. Uh, so we want to start with a place of understanding on that. Um, but I think uh, part of what you're looking at is do I regulate my external environment, that is to say, be around fewer things that make me sad, or do I deal with my internal environment and deal with right. my own things that make me sad? Uh, at, if if being in a place where people are, are couples and are happy makes you sad, that's we got to start with you. That's we, we, yeah. we if you, if we can't be around happiness without it bumming us out, then that's there's no way forward on that although just like you're saying we've all been there we've all been there oh, i yeah. look you know I, in fact i'll tell you a story uh i this was uh uh I, I dated a gal and we it was in high school and we ended up breaking up and it was like one of those uh uh you know we're moving away different cities so it's just it's one of those things but i always thought man you know it was a great relationship i think you know we could have made that work and I was at an, a supremely low point in my life, and I ran into this gal years later, and it was like, oh, I mean, I could hear the angel choir singing. This is it. <laughs> it's all. It's all come. This is the exact moment we're going to tell our children about this. You know, all the this whole was thing. the turnaround I needed in my life. Exactly right. And then she introduced me to her fiance, who was tall and handsome. Hi there, I'm Brick. <laughs> I'm pleased to meet you, Glenn. I mean, he was tall and handsome in a really offensive way. It's like he's <laughs> being you. very rude at me with his handsomeness. You'll have to forgive how tousled my hair is. I was paragliding earlier today, and I <laughs> right. haven't had a chance to brush it since then. <laughs> exactly. And, and also, he was a really great guy, which made it way worse. So, paragliding you know. with orphans. I'm yeah. sorry, you were saying. Yeah. So it's it's a, you know, I've been there. I've We've all been there. So this is... Uh, I know exactly what it is you're saying, uh, but but part of what made that painful was what was going on with me. Like I said, I was at a low point in my life. Um, uh, so we have to start uh, with you and dealing with the way that you see yourself. 
that's going to to change the way that we perceive what's going on around us. Uh, but then it's about finding out what it is that you need in terms of uh, if you uh, are in a place where you feel like it's time for me to have more fellowship and better fellowship, uh, and I need that with single people, then we need to find that, uh, whether it's at church or somewhere else. Yep. If you feel like it's time for you to start dating, we need to figure out all the things necessary for that to take place. That might be dealing with this internal stuff that we're talking about here. It might be uh, you know, making changes to where you go, who you hang out with, where you hang out, what you do online with online dating things, all those different kinds of things. Uh, but it's about uh, recognizing that, that you have needs and uh, that those are spiritual needs, physical needs, relationship needs. Uh, but those aren't going to be met on their own. These are things that you have to seek out and be smart about. And it's not easy, and it doesn't get fixed on round one. And uh, we talk about these things like they're easy, but they're not. Uh, finally, and this is a really important thing, when we're in a place where we're down on ourselves, where we're thinking negatively about ourselves, one of the first things that takes root in our brain is the idea that the world is sort of a zero-sum situation. By that, I mean... yeah. If if this guy ends up with this girl and not with me, that means there's one less guy in the world for me. My odds just got worse. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just, uh, if this person has something good, there's less good for me uh, in the world. Everyone's taking my good things and my opportunities and my whatever's, but... That's utterly not how the world works. Right. The, uh, God has r- good things for you, and no one can take them away from you. Uh, the moment that you fully take a hold of that, you can get out of the sort of the, the 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 that sense of time is running out kind of feeling, and get into a place of I I know what I need, and I'm ready to pursue that. Absolutely right. That is a really really fantastic place to start with this. And Leah, let me get you pick us up there because um, one of the things Glenn is, is intimating there is the idea that um, people can't, if you find yourself saying, look at that person over there living their life, they're probably doing that to make me feel bad. That, right. is, a, that is an indication that the problem, uh, at least a part of the root problem, is going to be in how you see yourself. So that means a couple of things. One, it means changing the environment is not going to be a, an answer here. So you're going to have to look at some of this uh, image of yourself and where do we start with something like that? Yeah, I, I absolutely encourage you to go ahead and rewind the podcast and listen to Glenn's answer again. Um, every bit of that was spot on, especially this thing at the end about the zero-sum game. This is the way we think about things. We think our chances are reduced by someone else being happy. Um, but all of this comes from a deep place inside you. Um, and, and there was a thing that, that, that Glenn was saying early on of like, we basically, we, we have a place that you need to go and we don't, you know, we're saying this as if it's easy. It's not easy. Um, this is something that takes reps. It's something that takes time. What we often talk about on the show is the idea of, um, the real versus the ideal, and and the concept of we have a place we want to land, and so we what our first goal is to <clears throat> is to turn and point toward the place that we want to land first. We can't flick a switch and and get one hundred percent to the place that we need to be at right now, but we need to aim somewhere, and here's exactly the place we need to aim. 
We need to aim at the place where you look in the mirror and you love who you are. You absolutely love you. You like you. You accept you. You see what you bring to the table. You celebrate the unique stuff that you bring. And I'm here to tell you this right now. The, the, the kingdom of God needs you in it. We need the unique stuff that you bring. There's a, there's, you are a unique expression of the creative genius of God in a way that nobody else in the world is. And my question for you is, what is that? Do we have a sense of what that is? Do you, do you understand the unique and amazing and beautiful things that you bring into our fellowship? that you bring into the kingdom, that God made you, you on purpose, because he likes you like this. Like your laugh, your, your, your face, your hair, your eyes, your, your height, your, your, your pet peeves, your, the, the stuff that, that gives you energy in life, all of those things, you were uniquely knit together by God on purpose, because he wanted you to be in this world. And what's more, he wanted you to be in your kingdom or in his kingdom. We we can't have the kingdom of God without you in a way. You know, if you were to be worshiping the Lord on your own in your house, we're all poorer for that because there's something that you bring. And what the place that we need to land in and and again, again, and this needs to be super ultra crystal clear. I'm not saying this and then I'm expecting that you're going to hear these words and it's going to flip a switch and you're going to look in the mirror and say, he's right. I love me. Game over. Done. I get it. I'm amazing. That's not the way that works. You're not going to flip the switch, but we do need to, that's the, that's the place we need to aim at. What the scripture says is that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, And we need to get to the place where you are on that wavelength that you realize I I bring something into the relationships that I'm in. I bring something into the fellowship. When I hang out with people, I bring something into those meetings. Um, and I may not have found the guy that's on my thing yet, but he's out there, baby. Everybody has all kinds of different tastes and all kinds of different people that they like and all kinds of different preferences and that they're attracted to and everything. And you might not have found this dude yet, but but he's out there. And what we need to do is keep showing up. But in the meantime, in, in the fellowship, in the worship service, in the ministries, in the whole thing, God has something for you. He has something. He has a role that you play, and nobody else can do it the way you can. Nobody else can encourage uh, or, or see or fill in the gaps the way that you can. This is the thing that we need to major on is you learning how to look in the mirror and say, this is what I bring to the table. And here's the thing about it. I'm not embarrassed about the fact that I like that. I like this about me. I think the easiest thing in the world for us to do is to nitpick ourselves and to think about, I I would change this about me. I would change that about me. I don't like this. I wish I was more like this other person. But the more we learn to appreciate the unique us that God has made us and to love ourselves, which is that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And to almost have kind of a holy swagger about it, then that actually frees me up to not compare myself to anybody else. That frees me up to love people better. And it frees me up to not be, um, you know, uh, stressed about this whole process because 
one of the things is that uh, before I can really love anybody else, I got to be uh, I got to be certain about the fact that I am actually worthy of being loved. And so I think that we need to aim at that place. Again, I don't think you can flip the switch today and, and just look in the mirror and have all this sorted out and solved. But that's the place that we need to to aim at landing. And we need to kind of point the ship towards that place and realize that it's not a bad thing. It's not a weird thing. It's not a wrong thing for us to aim at. It's a great point. And Jed, let me get you to close this out by kind of picking up there because as those of you guys have said, there's, there's work to be done here. There's a yeah. journey here. Now, however, in the meantime, we do need to get spiritually fed. We yeah. do need to get some worship time. We need to get teaching. We need to get fellowship. We need all the stuff that uh, we those spiritual needs we have. So if for right now a large meeting, uh, church worship service is not a good environment for us, yeah. Um, I think we can all say pretty unequivocally, as as one say, we've all been tempted to say the maybe I can just do this on my own, yeah, and not have to deal with any of these people, and that'll be easier. And that's really not. No, we we are none of us called to be uh, the desert fathers. Yeah. So Christianity is supposed to be done in community. But are there some alternatives between I just don't ever leave my house and I have to go to this big room that makes me uncomfortable? Yeah, there definitely are. Um, I love everything that's been said. And, and I just like to offer a couple of uh, practical things along exactly the lines Matt is suggesting. Uh, you, this is going to work better if you're doing it in community. Um, if, if you can dig it, I can't tell you how strongly I resonate with the idea of isolate and be alone. Uh, <laughs> you know, it'll help my loneliness, more aloneness. Uh, that dude, that's me to a T, but it won't work and it won't help. Um, it's, that's not the direction you want to go. You, you, you do need other people, but I think there's a few things that we can try. Um, and, and I think one is we want to start by giving yourself permission to find what works for you, whether it would work for someone else or not. So it sounds based on your question, like right now you, you go to just a standard, uh, you know, Sunday morning, you know, modern contemporary worship service, you know, and, and you, you see a lot of other people kind of who in a sense are in similar age and similar demographic. It feels like all of them are doing better than you. So let's, let's change those variables. Uh, a few things that we could do. One, we could try, go to a traditional service. That's going to be primarily people who are quite a bit older than you, um, a different place in their, in their life. That could actually work really well for you. I, I know people who intentionally make a point of worshiping with a lot of people that are in a very different stage in life than they are. And for them, it works. There's nothing wrong yeah. with it. If it works for you, that's great. Um, trying to find a, a small group Bible study uh, that can really be a community to you. Truth is, particularly at most larger churches, people's cell group or home group or whatever you want to call it, that's their body life. That's the thing that's actually giving them a sense of connection way, way more than that Sunday morning thing is. Uh, another option, these vary place to place, but in general, they're very good, are celebrate recovery meetings. Um, they do great work. Uh, I think that's definitely worth trying and seeing if it's a good fit for you. But give yourself permission to try a bunch of stuff and see what works. Um, the odds that the first thing you try will feel like a slam dunk is, is pretty low. It's okay. The point is to try it and then try the next thing and try the next thing. I, I am confident that if you ask the Lord to provide a community for you and you get in the motion of trying some things that could work, I think you'll find something certainly that works better than what you've got right now. Um, and that's, that's really the key thing that we want. The other thing is just pulling out a few things that you said. I really encourage you to find a person in your actual real life, like not on the internet that you can talk to about some of your struggles. Um, 
Ideally, someone who's qualified, uh, so that could be a therapist, that could be a counselor, it could be a psychologist, uh, it could be a pastor if they know what they're talking about, but someone where you can share what's going on with you in more depth and with more detail and actually have an interaction and a back and forth. Um, that's good for almost everybody, if we're going to be honest about it. And, and again, just looking at a couple details about what you said, I think that would be a lot of help for you and for your situation. I think one of the things that can, it's easy to happen. It's certainly I've experienced in my own life is you can get to a point where you were sad about this one thing and then you're sad about this other thing. And now I'm just in a stew of sadness and I don't remember where it started and I can't really seem how to get out of it. And, uh, I, if that sounds familiar, I've spent a lot of time in that particular stew, having a person that you can talk to in person in your real life, not on the internet will help a lot with that. It really, really will. So we want to encourage you to find that community and also find someone who can help you sort out some of that stuff uh, in person. No doubt. You got to get out of the stew. That's, that's just critical at every juncture. A lot of excellent advice there. And again, we do want to reiterate that this is a place everybody's been in. It's certainly a yep. place the people in this show have been in who do a uh, church and worship service stuff for a living. So that we it also there is you have to fight the idea to say that because I'm having a hard time being uh, shiny and happy in a worship service, it means there's some fundamental uh, problem with the way I think about God or the relationship there. Your worship service is not God. You want to give you a good worship time and good teaching time, but it is about finding the fit for you while you're working on these issues. And there, there's a good solution out there for you. We are sure of that. We're going to go to our second question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, my teenage son wants to get a Gadsden flag. The don't tread on me one. I'm not totally sure about what it means, but it seems like some people love it and some people are offended by it. How should Christians think about political symbols and stuff like that? So before I throw around these guys, if you're not familiar, if you're maybe not from, from the U S or not, just familiar with the idea. So you, pro- if you're in the U.S., you've probably seen there's a uh, a drawing. It was originally a political cartoon in the Revolutionary Period of a coiled snake. It says, don't tread on me on it. Yellow flag. A yellow flag with this this black drawing on it. It is known as the Gadsden flag. Um, so that is, is a relic of the Revolutionary War. It was a, uh, you know, this is kind of a rallying cry. You may have heard, don't tread on me. So fast forward to our modern insane times. Like a lot of symbols that has been uh, used by certain fringe political groups. Some of those are white nationalist groups. Some of those are um, anti-Semitic groups. Some of those are domestic terrorist groups. So does that mean that that anyone who has that tattoo or thing or whatever is in that group? Absolutely not. Of course, we're not trying to say that. But this is now something that symbolizes something. So Lee, uh, we get, we, and I, I uh, responded to our friend uh, via private message about the specifics of uh, her son and this flag and what that means to them. But when we're thinking about symbols, uh, we, that could be this flag, that could be a bumper sticker with our preferred uh, presidential candidate on it, that could be a number of things. As Christians, as people who are trying to project what we're trying to project in the world, how do we think of those things? What should we do with those things? I'm glad you used the word should. <laughs> because the uh the the unfortunate thing is that Christians don't often ask that question how should a person who believes and walks with Jesus um uh deal with symbols the the problem with a symbol is that exactly as you said the the Gaston flag is a great example of this it starts in one way and then it gets co-opted you lose control of what's communicated by the symbol if you 
associate yourself with a certain brand. The trouble is that like if if you you know if if you uh, plaster a, a a certain symbol on your car, for instance, and then somebody else uses that in association with a certain kind of intolerance or hate or racism or whatever, now your car is projecting or expressing that thing, even if you didn't intend to. That becomes the problem with with some of these symbols is if it gets co-opted by another group, then now you are expressing that same thing. As believer, as a believer in Jesus, for myself, I would never want to associate myself with any kind of brand that made anybody feel disenfranchised, disqualified, or unloved. I wouldn't want to outcast anybody because the message of the gospel is everybody is a sinner and the blood of Jesus has been spilled for anyone who wants to be saved. That we are, we all find the parody, um, the, the equal footing of needing Jesus and we all have a total availability for forgiveness and free grace. We all get to come in. Everybody is loved by God and everybody gets to come in. And so I don't want to have any kind of association projected that I that I wear or that I display or anything that in any way makes anyone else feel inferior, disenfranchised, uninvited, or discluded any way. And so it really comes, the, the tricky thing is, this really comes down to a question of discipleship. Am I a student of Jesus? If I'm a student and a follower of Jesus, then I don't want to do anything or project anything that, that, that puts me in a place where I'm, where I'm communicating that kind of thing. If, if I were in the situation for this parent, um, I would want to have the conversation with the teenage son. And say, what what do you what is it that you want to express with displaying this flag? What is the thing that this is saying to you? What do you what do you think this would mean if somebody feel if somebody was to feel offended by that? What if you made someone in this group feel like you didn't accept them? Do you understand that that could communicate that? I think depending on the age of your son and depending on his openness and depending on his walk with the Lord, those are the types of conversations that I would want to engage. You, you, if you've listened to the show a lot, you've heard us talk a lot about the fact that beneath what people do is a deeper question of why. And we always want to engage those conversations if we can. Why is it that you want to do this? What is it that you're trying to say? Why are you finding resonance with this symbol? The problem is that the symbol can get out of control of what it is you're trying to say, and it could offend all these people. Is that what you would want to do? And I would try to have that conversation. If I were the parent of this child, especially depending on, I mean, the age range of what we could technically call a teenager, is a, that's a broad range. And so we're talking, we could be dealing with somebody who has no idea what the context of this thing could mean. And so I would want to engage those types of conversations. Are you aware that you could be communicating this to certain people, to certain groups, to certain friends? Um, What is it that you want to say? 
Um, and and are you aware that certain symbols kind of lose control after time or if or certain other groups? Those are the kind of conversations that I, I would want to engage with my son. It's a great point. And Jed, I'd love to get you to pick us up there because there is a, a – Lee talks there, and I think very rightly, about the intention yeah. of using a symbol. Um, I think that is whether that's us talking to someone else or us talking with ourselves. I think there can be a a desire to give ourselves cover. To say maybe this is going to offend some people, right? But I'm just wearing it because I think it looks cool or it represents these other positive aspects, or whatever. And you know what people think of it is on them. And as we often say, that's a perfectly logical and defensible attitude as long as you're not trying to have Jesus be involved in it. Yep. Because once Jesus gets involved in it, you how uh, people who aren't Christian and aren't in your in group uh, think you feel about them actually becomes super duper important. No doubt. So how do we how do we look at maybe our own motivations in a clear way? And if we if we're trying to give advice to people, other people as well. Those are great questions. So one of the things that I think Christians struggle with a lot is they want situations where motivations are entirely good or entirely bad. And the problem with that, I mean the desire makes sense, but the difficulty with with it is yeah. that those don't exist. There, there actually are no situations on a fallen planet where someone's motivations are entirely good or entirely bad. It's always a mix. Um, it might be slanted more towards one than the other, but it's all, it's always a mix. So, you know, I think it's worth looking at um, what are, just like Lee was already saying, what are the blend of motivations behind wanting to you know, have this flag up or put this sticker on your car or wear this t-shirt or, or whatever it is. Uh, I'm not in this particular scene, so I'm, I'm making some guesses. And if I'm, if I'm wrong, you send them right back. But uh, here, would be, here would be guesses. On, on one side, um, maybe we want to put out there that I, I celebrate courage and I celebrate the courage of my convictions, so don't tread on me. All right. All right. And then maybe another motivation might be, I want to trigger libs. All right. One of these is actually a good thing. Uh, the idea of I have courage and I celebrate courage and I encourage what I believe in and I'm going to stand on it. That, that can be a really good thing. Wanting to piss off people because you don't agree with them yeah. politically is a bad thing. Maybe word has not gotten out. That's a bad thing. Uh, it's, it, it's a deeply unchristian thing for sure and also a bad thing. So in our lives, when we discover that we're dealing with something where we have a blend of motivations, some good, some bad, what we want to do is we want to say, well, let's set aside the bad motivations for a second. They make sense, uh, but let's let's set those aside. Am I really serving this good motivation well with this thing that I'm thinking about doing? In other words, I say I uh, I want to celebrate courage. That's, that's what this is about for me, and, and that's my thing. Dude, is putting up a flag? as good as you can figure out how to celebrate courage. Anybody can buy a flag. I looked it up before we started recording. They'll sell you one of these for 10 bucks. I mean, literally anyone with $10 can buy a flag. 10 bucks in courage though, right? Nope. Just the 10 bucks. They, they like check it like kind of it's in an Indiana Jones way. They check that you're <laughs> pure of heart before they let you buy it. Nope. Nope. As as long as and and this is of critical importance, as long as whatever bank issued you your bank card will vouch that you're good mm-hmm. for the moment for ten bucks. And hey, I've been in moments where my sure, bank wouldn't vouch for me on that. Bank of America, exactly. So, but if it's the Bank of Canada, they'll still they'll still say the flag. Oh. It's no problem. 
and maybe some delightful maple syrup. Absolutely. You never know. So, um, are we, are we actually really doing the courage thing well here? Because I think celebrating courage is great. Courage is a godly virtue. Courage is a good thing. Our world needs more of it. But dude, we are way under doing that. If the best idea we can come up with is to buy a flag, you know, if you want to be about courage, let's go all the way with courage, become a rescue diver, become a volunteer firefighter, or become an advocate for people who are bullied. All of these things involve courage. All of them require courage. All of them set you apart as a man of conviction, as a man of capability, as a man of valor. These are things to be praised. Do those things. Flags are for people who can't do those things. Flags are for people where all they've got is tokens. Well, you, you're better than that, dude. You're more courageous than that. You, 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 you can do more than that in the world. You should do more than that in the world. Don't sell yourself short. There are things that would actually display courage to the world around you in a way that some flag or some bumper sticker or whatnot never could. You become someone who pulls people out of a burning building, we will all know you're courageous. You become someone who stands up for the marginalized, we will all know you're courageous. If that's what you want, if you want to be known for your courage, and I think you should want that, I think it's a beautiful thing. Do that all the way and don't cheat yourself. Absolutely right. That's all really fantastic stuff. And Glenn, I'd love to get you close out by looking at, maybe let's, let's pull the camera back and look at the concept of communication. Because there's what is said, and right. then there's what is communicated. Yeah. And if we take that on board, as it's important for us to be, uh, as people who love Jesus, as people who are, want to project that to the world, it's important for us to be concerned with what we're communicating by our actions, by our symbology, as Jeff's talking about. Uh, one of the things that means is you don't get to win on a technicality. Right. You don't get to say, well, actually, I mean, to go with the, the way too far and fully Godwin's Law example, the swastika is actually a Hindu symbol that means peace. Right. So none of you can get mad that I'm wearing this T-shirt. Ha ha, gotcha. Right. It, again... If there's certain people in the world who that's apparently all they want out of life is ha ha got you. You can't be mad at this thing I'm doing intentionally to make you mad. I'm technically right. But if we're worried about what we're communicating, how does that work for us? I mean, obviously you can't go through your life wanting to just not offend anyone ever, but because some people will decide to be offended. Sure. This idea of I'm going to have control over what I communicate to the outside world. How does that play into walking with the Lord? Well, I think it's about recognizing that uh, well, here's the dichotomy that we're we're wrestling with. Really, is we tell teenagers, don't give in to peer pressure, don't just do things so the kids will like you and think you're cool. Study hard and obey your teachers and conform in every way to what I'm telling you to do, <laughs> even if it's not popular. <laughs> and um. It, it, conformed to this thing I heard on the most popular cable news network in the country. Be yeah, a you rebel. Know, so, so you know uh, what you're what you're trying to say to that young person is, um, do what is right uh, and 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 be responsible, handle your responsibilities, so that even if people disagree with you, they can still respect you. I think that's that's a uh, a good and smart thing to to say to kids. But you can see uh, kids kind of going to the opposite uh, extreme of saying, I don't care if anybody likes me. And when the kid is saying that, they're saying nobody likes me. 
because that's why you're saying I don't care if nobody likes me. That's that's what's going on there. You know, um, when I was uh, when I was uh, younger in high school, there's there a lot of kids into metal. You know, and I I liked a certain amount of metal. I mean, it was a different thing then than it copper, is now. bronze, aluminium. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yes. Even your heavy metals, your lead. You know. Oh, you know, yeah, Don't even get stuff. me started. But uh, you know, I was, you know, I was into that. But there were some kids that just liked the music of it, and you'd see them wearing the T-shirt, and you're like, "Oh man, I love that album. It's great stuff." And you, you kind of bond over that. And uh, then you'd see another kid wearing that T-shirt and say, "Oh man, I love that album. That's so cool." I didn't know you were into that. You're like, yeah, you're just one of those posers. You're not real. And you get the sort of violent reaction. You realize they're wearing the shirt hoping you hate the band because that's, this is, I'm, I, I'm not getting attention. I'm invisible. I'm not liked. I'm not loved. I'm not uh, welcomed. So this is what, this is the alternative. I'm triggering people with things they don't like. And that, creates an engagement that I wouldn't otherwise have. This is all the way unhealthy. This is the thing you really do not want to to see happen. Uh, What you're looking for is taking responsibility for the image that you create. That's, you know, uh, we can talk to young people about uh, reputation. We can talk to young people about if you're going in and it's a job interview. We're not shooting for intense honesty. We're putting our best foot forward. We're wearing our nice clothes. We're talking politely. That's just the social norm that's expected there. They know it's a bit of a, a, a of not your uh, 100% authentic self. We're doing a dance here. Uh, what other people think matters, and it matters a whole lot to your testimony, dude. I mean, you you, you say, well, I, I, I need to be truthful. That's, yes, you need to be truthful. Well, what if the truthful thought that I have is really awful? Here's the thing. Uh, change your thought life. Don't just express it and call that a virtue. That's not, this is not how that works. Um, it, the, all this is in, addressed in the Bible. Uh, Romans chapter fourteen really covers yeah. a lot on it. Uh, Paul's talking about the dietary laws, and he's saying here over here you got people who think it's a, the worst thing you could do is eat meat that's been sacrificed to an idol, and you can sort of track the thinking there. You know, it's part of it, religious ceremony to another thing and then they'd sell the meat from the so you're almost sponsoring this other religion in sort of a different kind of way and what is this, what are the implications of this and you could see how you'd get this thought going you know that that this is a bad thing and then you have other people who you know have prayed about looked at it studied it talked to Paul about it and it's like no nah, it's no big deal it just doesn't matter it's not it, let's not get focused on that but what Paul is saying is, you're right that it's not a big deal. You're right that that's not a sin. You're right that it's not some horrible thing. But you can't eat the meat sacrificed to an idol in front of somebody who's really tweaked out about that because you'll set them off. Like you'll trigger them in a sense, you know. And he's saying, don't do that. In fact, uh, this is in the middle of that chapter, and you should check out the whole chapter. Romans 14, 16 says, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. So even if you in your mind and in your conscience are 100% sure that this is a good thing, you take control of these situations in order that you aren't spoken of as something evil. So I, I think what we're landing on here is uh, this use of symbols 
Uh, and uh, understanding, and I think this is what I want to communicate to a younger person. Some people use symbols to communicate something they are passionate about. I love this band. I love this TV show. I love this comic book. And I, and it, it might be something political. I love the the statements and the philosophies of this person. This is it's, you know uh, uh, Martin Luther King or it's Mahatma Gandhi or whoever it is. I just. I'm really energized and excited by this person's ideas. That's 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 a thing. You can express that. And uh, young people uh, try on these things and try on these ideas and these identities, and that's good. That's You're exploring, you're learning. But I'd want to communicate to this teenager, there's a second way that people use symbols, and that's to identify themselves to other people right. on a fringe who are on that fringe because they are on something ugly and they're on something mean-spirited and they are isolated and alone because of that ugliness and that mean-spiritedness. So they're trying to find other people that are on that same thing so they can be on it together. This is as bad as it gets. We, we, we don't want any part of this. If this person's already ostracized for being mean, the last thing you want to do is join them. The last thing you want to do is encourage them. The last thing you want to do is signal to them you're on, on board with them. And, and certainly we hope that that's not the case. But, you know, I think for young people, that, that line between stuff I'm passionate about and signaling to other people who are on a fringe, that's, that, those are very blurred lines for them. I, I would want to make those lines a lot sharper. Uh, Well, I'll just write with what Glenn's saying, especially when you find if you are on a fringe, maybe you don't have a ton of friends or something like that. And then in that group, you may not even know much about it, or you may not even have those same kind of level of mean spirited things. But if you find a level of belonging, then all of a sudden the belonging propels you forward into a philosophy that maybe you didn't even have. Uh, because you, because yep. you were in the fringe, you, you were hurting because your, your real beef is not whatever that philosophy of that fringe group is. Your real beef is I'm lonely. And now you have a sense of belonging. Yep. And so this is, right. th- these symbols can take somebody to a place in their thinking that they didn't, they wouldn't have honestly arrived there. They, they have a, they have a pain that leads them into a sense of, identification with a fringe group exactly as Glenn's saying and it's the belonging that propels the philosophy forward not the not an honest actual philosophical lean if that makes any sense and so these things can be a dangerous it's a weird way to say it kind of a it's it's like a it's it's almost like a doorway into an unkindness that they wouldn't have found on their own that's absolutely right it is Amen. definitely worth that and if you're interested in uh, reading on that there's been a lot of great work done particularly on you on the idea of YouTube and how it's used as a, what uh, researchers are calling a radicalization engine. The idea is basically young people, you start with a fairly anodyne thing and it, the, because of the way you use the algorithm work, it's the top video that's recommended off that is something a little more intense. And then before in like a very short amount of time, you're on some stuff that's really, really out there. And again, we're not here to uh, pick one political ideology over the other, but the I, there's an idea of, you know, it sometimes it just feels good to get a rise out of people. You know, it no, it's great to know that Uncle Jerry's going to be at Thanksgiving and he's super on Fox News and I can get a used copy of the Communist Manifesto for like a dollar and just take it with me. 
and just have it in my hands. We're all sitting around watching football after Thanksgiving. And I kind of hate Uncle Jerry. So isn't people who I don't like having a visceral dislike of me kind of a validation of me if I can't get validation any other way? Isn't that most of what social media is? (laughs) Almost certainly. But again, so there's a lot of what we have here at the base of it is exactly where Glenn was starting us off there is a a trading of a real thing for a a fabricated ginned up thing, a trade of, of of love, of acceptance of some things that are real, but maybe a little harder to get for just attention and outrage and a fairly false sense of belonging. It's least talking about there. So so some heady stuff, but I think stuff that is very good, especially in a, in a social media world, as we talked about, we talk about in our private conversations fairly often actually takes us back to the emergency and we all know I'm very uncomfortable mixing the emergency part with the wisdom part. So that's how important it is. We do live in this world where every individual uh, to some extent is a brand. Now, just you have a, a curated sense of yourself. You put out into the world. That is a brand. All right, we're gonna move on to our final question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, God has blessed me and I'm grateful, but there are a lot of negative people around me and sometimes it really gets to me. How can I stay on track without letting negative people distract me? And Jed, where do we kick this off? It's a great question. Uh, We're glad that you wrote in. So here's what I would encourage you to do is, first, you want to avoid what you can. Uh, I mean, to to the extent that you're able to simply not be around negative people, that's definitely what you want to do. Um, But as you say, there are a lot of negative people around me and sometimes it really gets to me. So given that you can't completely avoid it, then the next step is figuring out how to counteract it. The next step is is figuring out, in a sense, what is the antidote Mm. for all this negativity? How do I, if we look at it, being around these negative people is draining me of something. that could be a good attitude, that could be will to live, that could be you know, good morale. How do I counteract that? Uh, how do I reverse that process? Because what, what won't work terribly well is deciding, well, I'll just have such a good attitude that it's like I'm not even around negative people. That won't work. If you are around people who are really negative, it is going to be draining you. That, that, there's no way around that. So what we want to do is we want to counteract that. And, and the key ways that we can counteract that is to the extent that you have a choice about how and where you spend your time, you want to spend your time with and around as positive of people as you can find, as encouraging of people as you can find, as uplifting of people as you can find, uh, because you recognize we all need that. I mean, we all need good fellowship in our lives. We all need good encouragement in our lives. But if you're almost forced to be around a lot of negative people for at least part of your day, then you super, super need it. You, yeah. you kind of need it more than the rest of us. You need, a, you need a certain amount just to get back to break even, right? The Bible says, uh, uh, do not be deceived. A bad company corrupts good character. Um, another way to express that same idea is you become yeah. like the people you spend time around. It, that's, it's one of these, there are certain things in the Bible that we're inclined to look at as like a threat or, you know, I mean, you know, bad company corrupts good character. So it's almost like if I spend time around bad people, it's like God will curse me with bad character. That's not what that means. Yeah, it's an accident. It's cause and effect. You become like the people. Exactly right. You become like the people you spend time around. Actually, to link back to our previous question, if you find yourself spending time around people who are really hateful and angry and mean, you will become hateful and angry and mean. There's not a way to avoid that. That's just, that's how life works. So 
it's one of these deals where if you kind of have to be around people who are are negative, then to offset that, uh, just to get back to a point of break even, we need to seek out an environment of fellowship and encouragement and uplift that is really, really able to do that. And then that leads to the next thing, which is there's a pretty significant difference between what we feel like would be good at counteracting that versus what will actually counteract that. L- let me explain what I mean. If you hung out around a lot of Christian circles, you might get the idea that, uh, say you, you're in a school environment or work environment, there's a lot of really negative people, that when you're not there, what you really need is just to have like Christian worship songs playing at full volume and just, you know, being as, you know, zenned out of a state as you can possibly be. And that's what will, that, that's how you restore that balance. Well, maybe that would work for some people, but the question is, does that work for you? Because there's actually not something like intrinsically valuable about doing that. It's just a question of, is, is it restorative for you? Does it, does it help you get back in a good headspace? If it, if it doesn't, then it's, it's not a good fit. We're actually, in order to do this well, we're going to have to learn a little bit about what makes you tick, about what, what works for you. What is fellowship that is restorative to you and to your heart and to your soul? So, and you might find that a certain amount of it could be a little bit counterintuitive. Like for me, I do end up spending a certain amount of time around negative people. It's just a part of, of the work that we do. And you would think, okay, so to counteract that, you would need to get in an environment that's as positive as possible. Well, yes, that that is true. But actually, part of what I need is an environment where I can vent a little bit, where I can I can say, man, these people are driving me crazy and you wouldn't believe it. And here's the kind of nonsense and shenanigans. And so I can almost get that stuff off of my chest. I can kind of, it's like I'm getting it out of my brain. And I've got friends who are willing to listen to me on that, but are also willing for us to reach a point where like, all right, well, let's, let's set all that nonsense aside and let's move on to happier things and, and better things and whatnot. That happens to work for me. Um, again, it, it would seem weird to say, well, you're going to get over all these negative people. You're going to counteract those effects by going and kind of whinging and complaining <laughs> about it for a minute and then moving on to something else. Except that that actually works. That, that gets the job done. So for you, it, we got to counteract, but we've got to invest in a process of figuring out what helps you counteract. What is the thing that actually puts some gas back in the tank, that actually puts some positivity back in your heart and your brain so that you can go another round and not be dragged down by those negative people? Absolutely right. That's all very, very sharp stuff. And Leah, let me get you us up here. I think Jed did a great job kind of outlining what to do in those situations where we are forced to spend a certain amount of time around negative people. That could be school, that could be a job, that could be, you know, any number of things. Uh, we often talk with our, our the people at the bridge who are in a residential drug recovery center. It's a good place to be. There are a lot of negative people, so we have to balance that. Now, there are situations, and you work with a lot of young people, and maybe that we find some of those more, those early stages in life where we don't really have to be in this situation for much longer than we need to. And what are the, what are the tips and tricks on that? When you talk to folks who are involved in a, in a 12 step program, they, they have a phrase that they use, which is people places things. If I'm, if, if I'm bogged down with negative people who are talking about negative things all the time, then it's exactly what Jed said when he was quoting the apostle Paul, I am going to get colored by that. I'm going to get tainted by that. I I need to get myself in a situation where I'm around people who can help lift me up and build me up and who aren't going to bring me down. Um, 
the the clear picture for some people, and and it's it's just easy for my mind to flit to kind of young people, college age people, or or recent college graduates, the kind of folks that I hang around with and work with often. I hear a lot of complaining about the the negative the negative people in their life, but it's not the type of situation that Jed's talking about where these are the people I work with or these are the people that I'm I'm sitting with in a residential program. This is just like these are the roommates that I live with this semester or something. And so one of the things that I would say is it's time right now to start making plans to move out. Um, maybe the deal is you've got some negative family members, relatives that you're living with. It's time to start making plans to move out. It's time to look for maybe your own place or look with, look for some different people to live with, some different people to worship with, a different team to work with, and a ministry environment, whatever the situation is. Um, you, you may not be in a situation where you're stuck. And if that's the situation, if, if you are in a, in a thing where you've got some flux and you've got some opportunity or you have some choices, then actually making a plan to, to make a change can affect the way that you feel about this whole thing. There's a, there's a little trick that happens in this whole process though, uh, especially for, for Christian people, that's a difficult thing, which is. There's a thing inside us that says, well, I should just be able to be around anybody and keep myself joyful and happy no matter what. And so nope. uh, I should just put up with whatever and I should be able to be amazing. Here's the thing. Recognizing, and, and I'm glad to get the loud nope from Jed because this is the thing. Even if you are believers in Jesus, we need to get better at this kind of a discernment and this kind of humility and honesty and vulnerability about the fact that I need to make a change. I need to get some different roommates. I need to be in a different environment because I care about my own personal happiness, my own personal growth, or whatever the situation is. I need something more. I don't have the personal tenacity or strength or whatever to deal with all of y'all's crazy and be the person I need to be. That's fine. That that doesn't make you uh, a weak person. Here's another thing. It doesn't mean that your progress thus far is fake if you need to make a change. I think that's an important thing to point out. I'm going to say it again. If you realize that the situation I'm in, surrounded with the negative people that I'm around, I need to make a change. That doesn't mean that the progress you've made so far is fake. It makes you a boss who is humble and realizes, I will do whatever it takes to keep moving forward. That's a big deal. Um, and I think that it's really easy for, for Christians to feel like, I don't have the right to complain about this or make a change. Um, that doesn't make you weak. That makes you smart. Um, that makes you humble. That makes you right. Um, let's... If you are in a situation where you have some choices about this, let's start making plans to make a change today and to get um, get yourself in a position where you can be around some more positive influences. It's all really, really fantastic stuff. And Glenn, I think both these guys did a great job giving us some practical things, some some steps to take in, in both kinds of situations. Are there some good underlying ideas and thoughts that we can have worked out and going in that's going to make those processes better? Well, yes, I, I think all of the, the, the beginning uh, process for all of this is seeing myself the way that God sees me. I need to be focused on that. I need to—that's my foundation for all the stuff that these fellows are talking about. 
if I don't have that, I'm really going to struggle. Um, so, for example, we, we were working with a guy uh, a few years ago uh, uh, on the north side of Chicago. He's a great guy. He had been uh, involved in, in uh, uh, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, all that kind of stuff. He had been locked up. Uh, that's where I met him. And then uh, we did some ministry there. And then when he got out, uh, he and I were doing some ministry in his old neighborhood. And he was talking about, I just want to be a good son. I just want to be a good uh, 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 brother and, and a good helper to my family and all of those kind of things. Uh, but my family can be kind of difficult to deal with. And I ended up meeting the family, spending uh, part of an afternoon with them. And I sat this brother down and said, okay, here's the first thing that you need to know. We think of temptation as a thing we can handle or a thing we cannot handle. What you need to do is to think of temptation as there is a threshold, maybe more mm -hmm. for you, maybe less for somebody else, who knows. But when you cross that that's threshold, right. that's it. Y if you don't limit this contact, they'll take you over that threshold. Here's what you need to know. If I had this family and I spent regular time with them, I would be smoking crack cocaine by the end of this week and be worshiping Satan. I don't know how you've made it this long. I want it to rub off on me. Please tell me how to be so sanctified you could put up with that lot of totally crazy people without losing your complete religion. Do not push yourself any deeper down this road. These people will drive you. How do you? I'm just wondering, how did we end up smoking crack in the first place? Have we solved a mystery here? For heaven's sake. Uh, the, I get you that you want to be good to these people, and you are. You're amazing to them. I don't know if they appreciate it. I don't know if they're in a place where they're going to work. I hope you're having a good impact on them. I really do. But you need to recognize there's a limit. For all of us, you get past that limit, you aren't Christian anymore. You are in crazy town, and it, and that's true for everybody on the planet. We don't see ourselves that way, but it's it's really important to do that. So here's how this works. Reason why I said see yourself the way the Lord sees you is when somebody is dysfunctional and they want to manipulate you and and get you into this dysfunctional family dynamic. The first thing they're going to do is go after your self-image. If I can get you to feel bad about you, I can manipulate you a thousand times easier. If you already don't see yourself as a good son, and I come to you and I say, you know that one time you stole money from me? Well, can you help me move my couch? That's, <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? I'm trying to get you to jump through a hoop to do what I want you to do, and I'm using your desire to be a good person mm -hmm. to get what I want. I did that by making you feel like you're not a good person, but heck, if you move my couch, maybe, I don't know. Let's move the couch and see what happens. You know? <laughs> That's worth at least, let's call it one-eighth of a stolen item. Yeah. Let's just move through the list. Yeah, we just, we'll just work this off. And at some point, you will eventually realize there's nothing but hoops here. There, I'm, there's no prize at the end of this rat maze, dude. Guilt comes with compound interest. Exactly right. So the, there's, uh, we have to understand that we give other people these buttons to push in our life, and we have to start to take that away. But it's important to recognize, if I take those buttons away, if I work on 
my own sense of self, my own, uh, you know, what my expectations are, how I'm going to handle things. Uh, I have a sense of strength within myself where I don't give those people those buttons to push. It's going to be a lot tougher to manipulate me and they'll go and they'll move on to somebody else. And I won't have nearly as much of that negative behavior directed my way. It's still going to happen and we can't control other people, but we can control our own response to that. Absolutely right. That is all really fantastic stuff on really what is a tough subject, uh, but one we all deal with. Um, and to Judd's point about venting, which I think is a good one, it must be taken. I had a, I had a, I will share that I had a point this week where I was talking with a friend about something. We're, we're getting into it. We're going through it. And at the end of it, I just felt totally wrung out. And I realized I had to be the positive one mm. this entire time. Yeah. I don't have those muscles. Yeah. Worked out. So it, as, as all these guys are saying there, we, we all have a well of this stuff. And so it is important to realize when this, the, it could be one person, it could be a sheer number of people when you're just having too much and pull back. And that includes, um, it's a weird thing to say, but po- positivity is not really a muscle. You don't right. get more of it. The more you do it and just, wow, I'm so great at being positive. I can do it all the time now. It's it's kind of like it's like actually it's like anything else. You got to take your rest. You got to have your your situations where you can be uh, do a little bit of the griping and have those safe spaces. That's all very important. All right, if you have a question for us, say that podcast gmail dot com, the dot tumblr dot com. We take a song this week. This is from our May edition of Bridge Box. This is our friends over at the Bridge Loud with a little help from Oak Ridge's right. own Thomas Cox Woo. with a version of him. There is a fountain. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. The Say That Podcast, reminding you that toenail clippings are more uplifting than most pastoral <laughs> memes. There is a fountain.